Ecclesiastes 7. We'll read some verses and pray together. And in some ways, this is sort of the addendum to Sunday morning's message. In fact, in many ways, as you'll see in a moment. But let's read some verses together and then we'll pray. Ecclesiastes 7. And verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. What a great text that is. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. What a great text that is. And then our text for tonight is verse 10. Say not, say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Father, please help us to know the meaning, the value of this great truth of your word. And I pray, God, our hearts will be open to it tonight. Thank you for divine wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, your wisdom, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 10 again, you'll see the wisest man who ever lived, of course, Solomon, talks about something that he says is very unwise for a Christian to do. Say not, say not thou, that word makes it very pointed, you. What is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. In other words, Solomon says that it is foolish, unwise to compare these days, the days in which you're living right now, with former days. And then to go on and conclude that the former days were somehow better than these days. In fact, what he's specifically warning against is simply asking why. Don't even ask why, he says. Do not inquire as to why the good old days were ever, if at all, indeed better than today. And of course, the reason for, you know, why this kind of nostalgia is foolish and why it is so unwise is what makes this admonition, I think, so helpful and, and really powerful for all of us. Now, again, Sunday morning we preached on today. Today is the best year, best day of your life. And we noted briefly in that message the folly of focusing and dwelling on yesterday, that is, to think too much about past history. You know, past history is what's called a pleonasm. A pleonasm is when you take two words, it's like small inkling, as if an inkling can be large. Or saying, look at that boat marina, as if there's a car marina or whatever. Another pleonasm, it's a play on words, of course, is the affluent rich and so on. And it's really exactly what Solomon is sort of using here in the text. You keep the history in the past. Do not ask, Solomon said, you know, obviously in your head or your heart or to another person, what is the reason, what's the cause that the good old days, the former days are better than these days? Don't even inquire why concerning this. Now, we just read a moment ago about wisdom and fools in verses 8 and 9. And you know, wisdom Solomon wrote in Proverbs is the principal thing. He said this, he said, therefore, with all thy getting, you're going to get stuff, right? He says, with all thy getting, get wisdom. 
I remember a little article I read some time ago where teachers asked their, their young students for their words of advice. And they said things like, Mike, age 11, never tell your mom that her diet is not working. Scott, age 9, never spit while riding on a roller coaster. Laura, age 12, never ever try to baptize a cat. Joel, age 10, he said, when your dad says, do I look stupid to you, don't answer him. <laughs> Lamar, age 12, never get on the nerves of a pregnant mom. I bet there's a story behind that one. Amen. <laughs> All of these, you notice, come from their experience. You can tell. That's some sage advice if a 10-year-old can be a sage. And you know what Solomon is teaching here isn't just sage and it's not just advice. It is wisdom from above that is repeated, of course, elsewhere throughout the Word of God. And again, the question is why? And this is why I think this is helpful. It's helpful for me. Why is it foolish? Why is it unwise to, to ask yourself or to compare the good old days with today? Well, there are some reasons, and they're in the text. And the first one I want you to consider is that, number one, if you do that, you'll miss the blessings of today. Look again at verse 14. In the day of prosperity... Be joyful. Now let me just ask you a question. How many of you believe that you personally are living in a day of prosperity? Raise your hands. Man, I am. And if you don't think you are, you need to take a trip to Haiti. Right? Or I would say maybe nine-tenths of the world. So what's he say? In the day, if you're living in a time of prosperity, if God's being prosperous, I mean our country's prosperous. We're sitting in an air-conditioned building, padded pews. In, the, in a day of prosperity, he says, be joyful. Now, I know it's sort of stating the obvious, but the problem with nostalgia, the whole problem with pining away for those good old days is that it will blind you of the goodness of God today. People who are always constantly looking in the rearview mirror are missing the good things that are right in front of them. And always remember this, beloved, objects in the mirror are larger, appear larger than they actually are. That means that the former days were never really, not really as good or glorious as they appear to be today. And let me just say this. Solomon is not arguing that some things in the past are not better for you than some things in the present are for you. There are some things in the past. I remember when, president, when our president was Ronald Reagan. And I remember our president now is Joe Biden. You know, he's not, there are reasons for nostalgia, absolutely to be sure. But it is not wise to think so fondly of the past that you forget that its burdens were actually there and then forget today's blessings because of it. Oh, but Pastor, when I was born, I go to the gas station now. When I was born, when I was in 1910, I remember gas was a nickel a gallon. Okay. What did you put it in? <laughs> it was better for the days of cars and automobiles. I walk out here and I see the oil in the parking lot. Well, what was in the parking lot under D.L. Moody with the horses? Okay, I'm just saying. 
crime and the crime rate. It was so much lower in those good old days. Okay, think about it this way. Not for Charles Lindbergh, whose baby was abducted and, and murdered. Not for the victims of, of, of Dillinger, Al Capone, or for Lizzie Borden or Jack the Ripper. You know, you ought to do this sometime. Just Google this. Google serial killers of the 1940s. And it's going to be a long alphabetical list. Do the 1950s, those good old days. Do serial killers in the 1960s. Those were all people who were victims of crime, murder. So then in other words, for every one of us in this room right now, these days, these days, the crime rate, these days are less fearful than for all of the millions and millions and millions of people who died violently in the U.S. Civil War. That was a long time ago. In the First World War. What an awful war that was. In World War II, in Korea, in Vietnam. Anybody in the 50s or the 40s or the, or the 20s who ever fell victim to a crime, compared to you right now, for you today, these are the good old days. This is it. The problem is you can't see the blessing of today. You cannot see God's goodness on you as long as you're glamorizing the past. Your past or any past. As long as you crown the past with a halo, you'll never fully appreciate the present and how good God is. Now folks, I love nostalgia. I mean, I'm 65 years old. I've got a lot to love. I love, I go back and I think about things and I talk to my mom. I love nostalgia. I just want to make sure that I am thankful now for whatever I was thankful for back then. Several years ago, we preached from the prophet Haggai. And it was interesting because, you know, in Haggai, God asked the people a question, and it was a very thought-provoking question. Here's what he said. He said, Who is left among you that saw this house, the temple, in her first glory? Like me saying, how many of you remember the building before, you know, if we had a building that burned down and everybody, how many of you remember the old timers raised their hand? That's what God is kind of doing. How many of you can remember the building in its first glory? Me. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes now in comparison of it as nothing? Oof, ouch. I mean, what a question. But you see, the question from God to his people was meant to be thought-provoking. Look, Solomon's temple was nothing less than awe-inspiring. We're talking about the real, bona fide, good old days. It was gorgeous as a building. Far greater than the size of the old tabernacle, white limestone, Cedar walls from the trees of Lebanon, flooring of pine covered with gold, the holy place alone, the holy place, 60 feet long, decorated with carvings of cherubim and palms and flowers in which was the most holy place. And the most holy place that some of the old timers could talk about was a cube of 30 feet, completely overlaid with gold, a small room by itself that today would cost over $50 million. So that first building was infinitely superior in itself than what they're building. And God said, hey, how many of you remember the old one? What do you think about this one? 
And you remember that when Babylon came into Jerusalem, he didn't just destroy the temple, he plundered it. The Babylonians stole or they destroyed all of the treasures, all of the temple treasures, so that this one, the one that I mentioned a moment ago, that's Zerubbabel's temple, it didn't have the same building or the sacred fire or the Ark of the Covenant or the human and the Thummim or the tables of Moses or at this point it didn't even have the great Shekinah glory. It was in every way as nothing, as nothing when compared to the old. Why did God tell him this? Hey, I want you to look at it. Look at it. He says, lame, right? Lame. And that's what God wanted them to see. He wanted them to see that this one was lame compared to the older. So they'd feel bad? Oh, no, no, no. God wanted them to see that the same building, surroundings, that the same familiar place before was no longer theirs. Everything in their life had changed from those so-called good old days. And in some people's minds, that in itself was a terrible thing. They wept, the Bible says. They wept so loud, the young men shouted, the old men wept. That's the scripture, remember? And they forgot something. And God wanted them to remember that God, that God is immutable. Oh, there had been changes, and some people think that that change out there somehow affected them in here. Some people in this room right now may think that change out there is affecting you and I and God's presence in here. But we need to realize and understand that physical material change always takes place. And it will always take place in this physical and material world. In fact, I'll guarantee you that when the Israelites changed, think about this, when they changed from the animal skin tabernacle that they had for so long in the wilderness and they finally got to this different, entirely different structure in Canaan, some of the people said, oh, well, it'll never be the same. It'll never be like it was in the good old days with when we had ropes and tent pegs. Those are good old days when Moses himself was the contractor. But now Moses is dead. And the wilderness is history. And the manna is gone. And the pillar of cloud is gone. And with all that change, some people had fear and doubt and insecurity and, of course, disappointment. Well, you look at the world today, and there's change, and they're alarming, and they're disconcerting, and they're far-reaching, of course. God doesn't want us to deny the obvious He pointed out in Haggai, look at this building, look at it. It doesn't compare, does it? But he's not finished with that message. Because he goes on to the prophet to say, you see this tiny little temple? You see the rubble of the old one all over the place? You see the challenges that lie before you, the things that you've lost? And then God says, okay, you see it all? Don't worry about it. That's what he says. He says to his people, don't let it stop you because those changes don't matter to me, God says. Do not let the current circumstances and any recent or past changes discourage you from the calling of God today. And he says to to Zerubbabel and he says to all of the men who are working there, be strong, be strong, Joshua, be strong, people of God. Why? This is what he says. Here's his answer in Haggai 7. He says, because I am am with you saith the lord your god notice the words i am 
In other words, what difference does it make? God was telling his people, what difference does it make if the gold and the cedar isn't there? I'm there. I'm with you, saith the Lord. What difference does it make that the the changes are so big, so large, that David and the tablets and the rod of Aaron and the ark are no longer with you? And God says, I am with you. And I change not. So yes, I mean, there have been changes. I look back, things that I miss. But for all of the changes that's happening around us and have through all of these years, There's one thing that God wants you to remember tonight and wants us to know. The same God who was there for David, there for Solomon that wrote Ecclesiastes, there for Zerubbabel and Ezra, He's here for us tonight. Same God, hasn't changed. Now, I know this, some of you in this room, some of you watching where you are, you've gone through quite the winding road of life. And with all the twists and the turns and the uncertainties. Some of the changes are out there. Some of the changes are in here. It makes you wonder. It makes you question. Some of the changes in society and some of the changes are in your mirror, obviously. And you think to yourself, it's not just the national debt and budget. It's my own budget. It's not just the changes in America's families. It's my own family that I've seen these changes. I remember my dad used to read the paper back when everybody got a paper. And he would say, man, what's happening to the world? And my dad would say, I don't know. I don't know what kind of world I'm going to leave my grandchildren. And I echo that sentiment. Because I'll say this, it's a godly, legitimate concern. The Bible says a good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's Children, and you have to wonder what kind of a world the next generation will inherit. And yet, and yet, yet, whatever they're going to inherit, whatever the world is going to be like for my grandchildren, one thing I know tonight, the God who doesn't change will be with them, just like he's with me. And you know, that's why it's more important for for you to desire that your children and your grandchildren have God than to have gold. Gold fluctuates. Gold standard changes. The golden rule in the world is he who has the gold makes the rules. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So whatever is happening... And how inferior we think circumstances are in the world, our world today, God says, be strong and work. I am with you. And I don't change. I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. You moms in this room, be strong, rearing your children. Yes. You have every bit the power of God to rear your children, to serve God and be godly children as somebody living in the days of Laura Ingalls Wilder or whoever else. You don't have to reach back into that time. You men, keep standing for Christ. Young adults in this room, with your uncertain future, and all the people of the land, as it says in that great text, build, have a a family, win the lost, study the Word of God, love the Lord, give faithfully, pray without ceasing, love the brethren, keep the faith, finish your course. For the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give you at that day the crown of righteousness. Pastor, you 
You have great hopes for 2024? Oh, I do. It's called the blessed hope. That's, and I have that blessed hope for 2023. But pastor, the good old days. You know, I look at these kids and they drink bottled water all the time. Young people. They carry bottled water everywhere. And I want to say to them, there ain't nothing like drinking water out of a hose in the summer. Amen. Ah, tastes like rubber. You know, we think that's awesome. Bottled water's better. There ain't nothing like, like reading and working at night by the light of an oil lamp. If you only knew what that was like, Pastor. And there ain't nothing like the Chicago fire either. The Boston Inferno. All I'm saying is that to constantly look back and assume that things were so much better prevents you from looking around. And if you'll just look around and count the blessings of today, you'll realize tonight that for you and I, these are the good old days, as we've said many times in the past. You know, the psalmist said that the goodness of God extends to every generation. The goodness of God extends to my generation. And young people to your generation. And therefore, every generation ought to be recognizing constantly the goodness of God. Why is it unwise to constantly look back? Number one, you miss the blessings of today. Number two, you will miss the lessons of today. Go back to verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And then he says this, but in the day of adversity... Consider, God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. In other words, now here's what he's saying. Today's blessings along with today's trials are the things that God uses to make today a benefit in our lives. Both of them. If you have a watch on, look at it for just a minute. I don't have a watch anymore. Now, obviously, if your watch has a long hand or a short hand, maybe if you have an Apple watch, some of them do, right? Maybe you have that on there. Either way. I want you to think of it this way. Your life is sort of like the face of your watch in that, let's say the long hand represents the blessings of God, the goodness of God. And the short hand represents the trials and the afflictions of life. For every trial that passes your way, goes around the horn, shall we say. You also receive the long hand of God's blessings. Except, those blessings will come twelvefold more than does the shorthand of the trial. And here's the important part. Both the long hand and the shorthand the long hand of God's goodness and the short hand of life's trials, both of those are fixed to a central point, a central pivot, which is the unchangeable and eternal love and omniscience of God. In other words, as verse 14 says, consider the day, the day of prosperity. And it says, consider the day of adversity, because God has set one over against the other to the end that we should learn. Not just the lessons of success and, and relationships and winning strategies, but rather the very wisdom of heaven itself, which sees beyond this life 
beyond man, beyond the immediate. And this is really what spiritual growth is all about. But it won't happen. It doesn't happen to people, Christians even, who keep looking back constantly in regret or comparison. People who constantly look back on their lives and ask why the former days are better, they think that the hand of adversity is 12 times worse than it actually is. And so they miss the lessons of this day that God has given them. Do not ask, Solomon said, why the former days are better. You miss the lessons of today. You miss the blessings of today. And then thirdly, you will also miss the opportunities of today. I mentioned earlier a figure of speech called a, a pleonasm. That's where you have a couple of words or a statement that's sort of redundant. You know, it's needless. It's an affirmative yes. The opposite of a pleonasm is an oxymoron, where two words say the opposite thing. Jumbo shrimp. It's my only choice. My dad used to talk about the oxymoron. He said it was an oxymoron to say military intelligence. Old news, crash landing, almost exactly. Microsoft works. <laughs> Solomon uses a wonderful one in chapter 12 we're all familiar with. When he says, remember now. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Now, if you want to know what Solomon thinks about nostalgia, think about those two words, remember now. Now, follow this carefully. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 13 that David served his own generation by the will of God. That's a powerful statement. David served his own generation, boom, boom, by the will of God. Now, let me say this again. You cannot pray yesterday. You cannot teach someone last year. You cannot be a blessing back in the day. But you can today. You can read your Bible today. You can't read your Bible in 1968. Can't. You can't go to church in 1976. You can't support a missionary in 1989. You cannot so much as sing a hymn yesterday much less yesteryear. But you sure can tonight. After the service Sunday, someone texted me and they said, Pastor, you keep talking about today, today, today's the best day. Aren't we supposed to live for tomorrow? And I texted back and I said, no, Christians aren't supposed to live for tomorrow. Christians are supposed to live for eternity. For eternity. Well, that means is we're supposed to live for today we're supposed to live today for tomorrow. In other words, Christians aren't supposed to be sitting around just waiting for tomorrow, you know. No, we're supposed to be taking every opportunity today because of tomorrow. Christians are supposed to live today for tomorrow. Pastor, what did you just say? I don't even know what I just said. Get the CD, play it back. It might make sense. Actually, here's what we said. All right, in the words of Paul. Forgetting those things which are behind, okay, 
and reaching forth unto things that are before. What do you say next? I press. That's just I press. Forgetting those things, reaching forth those things, I press. That means I run. All right, here's the question. When did he run? Today. The day he wrote it. He didn't run yesterday. He didn't reach, he didn't run for the things that he's reaching for. He was running today for tomorrow. In other words, picture a man on a 100-yard dash. He's not looking back at the good old days of the starting block. Oh, I love that sound. That gun going on. That's so cool. Just thinking about that. He didn't know. He's certainly not waiting around. He's not waiting there for the finish line. He's running. Now. Immediately. Today. He's running. And he's doing it at that moment of opportunity. So that obviously if he's pining or whining for the former days, he's missing the opportunity of this day. Sunday I mentioned the Scottish poet. Thomas Campbell, who said distance lends enchantment to the view. The farther you get away from something, the better it looks. That's why I look better to, the, to Brother Remo than I do to, you know, Brother Scott. Sorry, Scott. I have another quote from another philosopher, Winnie the Pooh. And the Pooh said, no one can go back and make a brand new start. But anyone can start today and make a brand new ending. Remember, beloved, Jesus is this. Jesus is the I am. Right? He's not the I was. He's the I am. He's not the I will be. Say, but he will be. He's the I am. He wants us to know he is the I am. He is the God of the living. And you are alive tonight. Well, most of you are. If Jesus is the I am, and he's the God of the living, then what difference does it make for the past and people who are gone and passed away? Or people who haven't been born yet? No, he's your God, my God, with the living word. It's quick and powerful, alive. So that today, on this day, without looking back and pining, and oh man... Because distance lends enchantment to the view. It looks at everything from a distance looks better and bigger. This is the day God has given us. This is the night God has given us. And as Jesus, in as much as he is the I am, and he's the God of the living, this is the best day. You say, well, Pastor, you said Sunday was the best day. It was back when it was Sunday. Today is the best day of my life. And it's the best day of your life. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, help us, please, to understand the wisdom in your word when it says it is not wise. It is foolish to ask why. Why the former days are better than these when, in fact, you're the I am. And Lord, forgive us in so doing that we miss the blessing of today. The lessons of today. The great opportunities of today. Thank you for this day. Thank you for those in this room that are over 85 years of age and are living for, for you now, the great I am. 
And for those in this room who are 18 years of age and are living for you today, now the great I am. May all of us do the same. Until Jesus calls us home, may we occupy. May we press. May we run the race that is set before us so that you will be glorified in this church, in this place, that we live for eternity. To your honor, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.